Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and what a time it is right now. It's postseason, the NCAA tournament, mayhem, however you want to frame it, it is just officially the most wonderful time of the year. And we have plenty to cover, so let's just jump right in. First, some quick reminders for the show. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Believe in Softball, that's B-L-E-A-V. Believe in Softball is also on YouTube, so subscribe there. The video is pretty cool, and it's great to see the guests when we're talking as well. It's just a fun connection in that way. All right, let's go through today's batting order. First, we'll cover our bases. I'll share some news and call-outs from around the softball world. There are plenty right now. Then we'll head into the interview, part two of my conversation with Amanda Freed. In part one, we covered a lot. Postseason, working together on TV broadcasts, how she won championships at every level she's ever played at, casual, being one of the OG pitchers who hit, softball then versus now, just alums coaching at their alma maters, the pure love of the game, and, and whether or not I played it cool when we met, just so many things. But in part two, we'll talk about plenty more. Then we'll end things with the foul tip of the week where I share tips to help us keep going and get better. All right, let's get started. Covering our bases. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. And postseason is just starting for us right now. So for today, covering our bases is really, it's it's about the selection showdowns, the regional reactions, the postseason preview, any way you want to slice it. There's so much to talk about. And I have to say first, overall, it's not perfect. It's never going to be, right? The exact bracket that comes out. But I think we can all agree that it is way better and more balanced than last year. And we're coming off of a crazy conference tournament weekend, too, with automatic bids and people punching their tickets. And I I have to say congratulations to all of them. And also, congrats to all of the Believe in Softballers who will be participating. There's almost 30 guests that we've had involved with this NCAA tournament. This year, 30. 20 or so competing as either a player or a coach. Um, A few guests from every single season we've had. And also almost double digits in terms of people who are covering it in some way whether that's broadcasters, journalists, et cetera. And there are also, you know, not to mention how many alums or retired folks that definitely have a dog in the fight in this in this postseason run. So I'm just super proud of this group. I'm also excited to share that I will be at the Tuscaloosa Regional. I'm going to be doing audio broadcasts with Stanford. It's crazy because I haven't been back since the 2011 Super Regionals, my junior year. We won the first game when we were there, kind of stirred up all kinds of trouble. And then the next day we lost the next two. And we, it's a long story. We were just one out away from making it to the World Series. Clearly, it's still too soon for me to talk about, but I'm going to because this weekend we're back. And it's number six, Alabama, with Murray State and Chattanooga, as well as Stanford. To me, the thought of the Elena Vodder, Montana Fouts potential pitching duel showdown is amazing. 
I think people have been talking about that as, as a regional to look out for in terms of pitching. And I think they're absolutely right. And then with Murray state and Chattanooga, you know, they're coming off that conference championship momentum as well. And Murray state, it's their first time making it to the NCAA tournament. So congrats to them. Congrats to grand Canyon, North Texas and UNC Wilmington as well, all making it for the first time they're going dancing. It's just nothing like it. They're really, is nothing like hearing your name, you know, called during that selection show. I remember the pizza parties in the locker room every selection Sunday. And I was really lucky because I heard my name, Stanford, our team's name all four years and twice going to super regionals as well. My freshman year and that junior year in Alabama, super lucky. We hosted every single year for regionals and even super regionals my freshman year, except for senior year, we went to Louisiana. And so just seeing Every year, the athletes that get to experience that too, it just makes me really happy. And I think the competition for the softball that we're going to see is unreal. Some of the toughest regionals, you know, as I was, by the way, going through this and like what I wanted to talk about and looking through everything like inside and out, I could go on and on and on and go in a million different directions. But I just want to talk about some of the, the things that stood out to me. So in terms of toughest regionals, I think Tempe, a lot of people can agree with this going to be tough with ASU, San Diego State, the Mountain West champs, Fullerton, and LSU. Like That is going to be one of the toughest regionals there is. And then ASU being that number eight seed, also potentially hosting that super regional if they make it there. Then there's also Arkansas. I think that's going to be interesting when you have an Oregon coming from the pack out west to go out there and then Wichita State, who's been absolutely fantastic this season and super fun to watch. And then the Ivy League champs with Princeton, too. I think let's keep our eyes on that. Tallahassee, to me, is going to be interesting, too. Just you obviously have Florida State, number two seed, awesome to watch. But also with Georgina Korak and USF, clearly someone to watch. I mean, I'm super excited, speaking of pitching, in terms of watching that. And I really enjoyed watching Mississippi State in the SEC tournament. And I love their energy. And I think that's something that you need at this time of year more than ever. And they they've got it. They've got that going for them. So I think that'll be fun to watch. Norman could be interesting as well. I don't know if we would have thought we would say that, you know, earlier in the season, but they do have Texas A&M, Minnesota and Prairie View coming. Jordy Ball though, has not pitched since May 6th. And I don't think anyone would have guessed like that. OU would not be the big 12 tournament champions, but Oklahoma State came through in Bedlam Part 2, essentially. But Jordy Ball was not part of it. She does have a forearm injury. Uh, apparently, she's also spoken with Jenny Finch, who played with a fractured forearm for, for part of her career, one of her seasons. Um, and it really, according to Patty Gasso, comes down to the doctors, what they say and what Jordy's pain tolerance and pain management can be. But I respect this about Coach Gasso, is that she said she's not going to do anything that either Jordy or the doctors don't want to do or don't feel comfortable with. But obviously, she's been such a freshman phenom, and who you have in the circle is absolutely crucial, especially this time of year. So that could make things interesting. Hopefully, we get to see them at full strength. But some other interesting matchups, too. You know, you think about the Washington, Texas situation in Seattle, Tennessee possibly facing Oregon State's Mariah Maison. I mean, she is underrated to me. She is awesome, a two way player been an absolute workhorse for the Beavers the entire time she's been on campus. And I think, you know, she makes things interesting. And so do they. They've been underrated for a long time, I think, and they could shake things up. And looking to Virginia Tech and Kentucky as well, that's a matchup that I would love to see 
and I'm excited that we might get. And I just think I could keep going, but there is something interesting in every single regional this year. And there usually is, but I just think this year feels so good because it's a little more normalized. The selection show is a little more normalized, you know, usual schedules, all that stuff. And here we are. But the ACC coming in hot. I've said it before on this show. I will say it again. I'll continue to. This conference is on fire, and I think it's just going to keep growing. Four national seeds. Florida State number two, like we said, Virginia Tech number three, Clemson number 10, Duke number 12. Think about how Clemson, just their second full season they've ever competed in, and they're a top 10 seed. That is unreal. You think about Duke, too. It's been like five years or so that they've even existed, and they're at number 12. And talking with Lonnie Alameda and Coach Rittman in the second and third episodes this season on the show, it was awesome to get their perspective. And we also talked with Marissa Young from Duke last season. And I, so first of all, I recommend listening and watching if you haven't yet, because they give some great insight into the programs, how they built them, the ACC, the landscape as a conference, and just the national standings as well. And I think they're super hungry, these teams. You know, the visibility they've had with the ACC network launching has been huge. It was reminiscent of when the SEC network launched and that conference got a lot more attention and that helps with recruiting and helps you build a program, right? And so we've sort of seen the attention start with the Pac-12 in the early years, move to the SEC. And I think the ACC is is grabbing that torch, you know, and there's Notre Dame and Georgia Tech who will also be competing in this tournament. But speaking of the Pac-12 too, seven out of nine teams made it to postseason and six have potential SEC matchups, which is interesting. That's always such a postseason vibe to see those two, either that or the, you know, St. Pete Clearwater, Mary Nutter tournaments in the preseason. But three of the Pac-12 teams had national seeds. It was a big conversation, a lot of chatter on social media with ASU being the Pac-12 champions and beating UCLA head-to-head in their series during conference play, but getting the lower seed. I think ultimately, if you look at this, it's consistent by the committee throughout the rest of the bracket too in, in a lot of ways, but it seemed to be a focus on RPI, which UCLA was higher in, strength of schedule, which UCLA was higher in, and the overall body of work. To me, I think, you know, Conference champions and head-to-head should matter. I don't know that they take that into a ton of consideration as of now. I think ASU has been really good at just letting the chip on their shoulder motivate them the entire season. They've talked about having a target on their back and how, yeah, you know what? People kind of hate us, but they've let it fuel them and it's worked. So you know what? Just keep that rolling. Like, why stop now? The the selection show's over. They're just ready to compete at this point. So I think that's going to be exciting. It also, in my opinion, having covered the Pac-12 in depth, it could have easily been all nine teams that we saw in postseason. No one with a losing record. You know, Utah has that exact 500 record, 27 and 27, um, but have competed day in and day out. They played Oklahoma super closely. There's a lot of moments that they've had over the the season, including run ruling UCLA, beating Stanford as well. It's just there's a lot. But they're also all in the top 53 in terms of RPI, Cal being in that 53 slot, um, and but others being a lot higher, right? So it's interesting. It could have happened. We've seen it happen with the SEC where all 13 teams make it. But, um, you know, seven out of nine is still pretty, pretty impressive. It's just one of the most competitive conference seasons that I think we've seen in recent years from the Pac-12, that gap from the 
top tier of the pack to the bottom tier has closed significantly. And it's, it's a really fun conference to watch and we'll see that come to play continuously in the postseason. And I think it's cool just to see the influence when we, when we think about the roots of college softball and, and what laid the foundation. If you just look at the ASU regional in Tempe, for example, you can see that, you know, a San Diego state, We've talked about it before, a former guest on the show, Stacey Newman, her first year as a head coach, been there for a, a long time as an assistant, but hiring that staff that includes Rachel Garcia, just two different sides of the battery. You got the pitcher, you got the catcher mindset, two of the best to do it, and from two different eras of championship teams at UCLA. And the outfielder, lefty triple threat, Victoria Hayward, Olympian, also all Olympians, who has that perspective from UW as well. So you can see that influence into these teams. And then you look at Fullerton too, also at that regional, when you have the Daniel tools of the world, a U of A alum pitcher, another Olympian for team Mexico, who's also on that staff. So to see that is really cool. You look at the same thing at the UCLA regional with Loyola Marymount being there Tariah flowers, the head coach who's built that program up beautifully. So for her to sort of go home I like that uh, to LA is, is fun to watch. And even outside of the PAC 12 hosted regionals, but you look at the Duke regional Liberty's going to be there. Dot Richardson, one of the best ever, another Olympian UCLA alum. Her number was one too, just like me. She played shortstop like me. I, I have her autograph. I still do. Right. And she's still paying it forward in the game. And I think we can get caught up in talking about the PAC 12's history. Their current is also very competitive and exciting to watch and deserves a lot of praise. But just to see the DNA throughout the con- the country is, I think, noteworthy. And then you look at the Big Ten, too. Eight teams made it in. Record tying amount of teams to make it into the tournament. Northwestern's the only one with the national seed at number nine. I have to say, Daniel Williams is legit. Lefty pitcher, two-way player, saw her play at Stanford and host, got to call some games when she was a freshman and she was an immediate impact and she's tough. So I'm really excited to see her compete. And you know what? I think this conference has been underrated in recent years. You know, last year it was tough. The PAC 12 didn't get as much recognition as they should have in the bracket. Neither did the big 10 for similar reasons. They sort of played in conference opponents, mainly not a lot outside of that, et cetera. But I think this conference is big time. Still got Hutch in the mix at Michigan Minnesota and that program, how they built it up. So many different just fighters, I think, on that sort of Big Ten roster. So I think we could see a shakeup. In the mid-major space, seeing UCF hosting for the first time is outstanding. So excited for them. Loved seeing their reactions during the selection show. They earned it. And I also love seeing they're already sold out for the weekend. So the fan base clearly is there. And I'm seeing that in general across these different regionals, these teams announcing that they're sold out. He loved to see it. And our friend, Eric Lopez, another one who's been on the show before from In the Circle, that podcast with Fast Pitch News, he's definitely happy about this, right? He covers UCF the way that I cover Stanford, and I'm, I'm happy for him too, just from that perspective. And on the personal side, you know, three of my former college coaches are competing for three different programs. That is awesome to me. Trisha Ford at ASU was my, an assistant for all four years. John Rittman was the head coach when I was at Stanford for all four years at Clemson now. And then, of course, Jessica Allister, who's at Stanford now, was my assistant my freshman year while I was there. So just excited to follow them and all that they do on the personal side. And a couple of personal stories that I think are just worth remembering and keeping in mind as we watch this all play out. 
Fordham, for example, head coach Melissa Inouye, she came on the show last year in season two, and we actually had alum Kayla Lombardo from Softball America on in season one. And just all that they've been through this year, there was that incredible and scary story. But, you know, one of their players, Sarah, she was, her life was saved at a game. And she's had a lot of issues with her heart. And it's been a survival story and something that um, has been heartwarming and just inspiring to watch. And I'm wishing them the best in postseason since they're in the tournament. And then also Howard. Seeing Howard get in the tournament, they got the automatic bid when they won the conference championship. And Tori Tyson getting the outstanding coach of the year for the conference as well. Just everything that she's been through personally. She talked about it when she came on the show just a few weeks back, you know, losing the father of her daughter in the middle of the season. She opened up about it and was very vulnerable and I just think this is another example of these things of the game paying you back. We're always going to see that. It's always going to come back to that. But someone who knows what this time of year is all about is today's guest. So let's head into the interview. And I, I think the other thing that I can't help but think about, too, when we talk about how you've won championships at every single level, you talked about coaching and, and being fortunate. I think that's obviously true. But in terms of teammates as well, I feel like not only because you had a lot of your like, you know, UCLA teammates happen to be your team USA teammates as well. Like obviously that helps in terms of success, but um, in general, I feel like there has to be an element of you guys knowing how to be good teammates in, mm-hmm. in order to have the success that you had. Yeah. And you know, when, back when I was playing in travel, ball, <laughs> it was, I know I hate saying that, but it was different. Um, there just wasn't a lot of travel ball. So you, it was kind of more of a natural progression out of rec ball. And I played rec ball um, when I was 13. I went back and played a season because I wasn't pitching in travel ball. And I wanted to pitch still. So I thought, well, I'm going to go to rec ball and play so I can get some pitching time. Um, and so I kind of dabbled in that. But it was more of a natural transition into travel ball and not so, oh, she's pretty good. Let's go play travel ball. You know, and it's such a mm-hmm. quick commitment. Um, Mm -hmm. but when I got to, I played 18 U as I was mid 15. So my sophomore, junior and senior year, and this was a loaded team. It was Gordon's Panthers. And at the time Gordon's Panthers was like the UCLA of travel ball and the Batbusters were like the Arizona of travel ball. So those two were (laughs) always butting heads. And then there were a couple of other, um, like the cruisers were around and, um, I, shouldn't probably start to think like I should name them all because I'm going to miss them. But there were maybe a handful of really good organizations, but that was really it. And so on my team, Jessica Mendoza was on my team. Stacy Newman was on the team. Jenny Topping. I don't know if you remember Jenny Topping. Yep. Um, we had just up and down our lineup, the 15 to 18 girls in the lineup were all D1 athletes, but not everybody could play the field all the time. And I think what was such a cool lesson was Nobody whined about, well, at least not that I knew of, which is another lesson, but nobody really whined about playing time. Everybody, we got the most work and the best, um, the best, I guess the best work, I don't know, the best um, drive and push from working with each other and alongside each other. So, you know, we played with the best. And so we constantly pushed each other at practice, but it wasn't an unhealthy competition it was completely for the team and we won championships um and you know our parents were fantastic supporters so you know you hear about the car ride home and my parents were never 
you know, talking about what somebody else's mom or dad said, or I can't believe so-and-so made an error. Um, I think too much of that goes on today, unfortunately. Mm. And, you know, there are still some fantastic parents and, you know, I love that. But I think because of the nature of how competitive recruiting is and just finding a team to get playing time and all that stuff, it's just, it's hard not to, you know, want the best for your kids, especially now being a mom. Like I understand now how hard it is to navigate, you know, how far do you push? How far do you let it go before you need to step in? That stuff is hard. Um, but I feel like I was really grateful that my parents separated my on the field and that experience um, from my teammates' experiences, from our home experience. Like they were all compartmentalized to where softball wasn't my life and it didn't interfere mm. with my relationships with my teammates. And that's really why we won. Yeah. Gosh, see, that is so key. But like I said before, it's like, that's not an easy balance to strike. Like you do need that support. Like you mentioned, coaches, teammates, parents, like everyone's supporting you (laughs) to be able to do that at the end of the day. Like that's, that's what I mean, is is so incredible, too, because we always say things like it takes a village, but it really does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like what you just said also kind of nails it on the head in terms of it sounds like just from the way you just described your Gordon's Panthers experience, that also prepared you to be able to compete when it mattered in college. You know, that set your foundation and then the Olympics and then pro and then all of it. Whereas today, if it's more showcase based and, you know, some of those parent conversations like you're talking about, then when it comes to like the World Series in college, especially if you're an underclassman, it's very new to really think that competitively, if that right. makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why we see a lot of athletes. Um, I was just having a conversation not too long ago with a high school coach talking about some of the local high school kids who went off to college and aren't as successful as when they were here. And um, and I think that's why we're seeing in general a lot of athletes that are expected to do great things in college just aren't really prepared for that level of competition. They're not really aware of how drastic of a jump that is. And I think, you know, as a college coach, you want those athletes that have been thrown into the fire who are playing on those best teams, not just because of the best teams, but because they've been around other really great players and they've played for championships and they've experienced a level of, you know, success, but maybe defeat, but still that like that top stage Think about a Jordy Ball, for example, and, you know, mm-hmm. last summer as an 18-year-old, you know, threw in a national championship game, and she does the same thing performing out in the mound as she does going out playing in the top team in the country. And had she not been in that competitive, you know, field with the Chicago Bandits and Nebraska Gold, she, I don't think she wouldn't have been able to do what she's doing now. Um, mm-hmm. But so I think that that's important, and I think that's another reason why – wish we could go a little bit back to, you know, more elite level travel ball and having, you know, a lot of really great athletes. And I know it exists um, playing on the same team and pushing each other. And um, because it's, it's about playing time, but it's also, you know, you want to test your skills if you want to play at the next level Um, and be realistic of where you belong too, and how many colleges there are out there. Um, I don't know this conversation go in so many different directions. um, Yeah. I just, I have a lot of opinions over here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like it. That's, that's what we're here for. Right. Like, no, I I think it's a really good point though. And, and some of it's just about us evolving. Right. And, and that's okay. But it's sometimes 
sometimes there are some maybe more what people would consider old school things that it's like, no, th- those were important for a reason. And they're good things for us to tap into, you know, yeah. no matter what era of softball we're in now. Yeah. I'm totally old but. school. <laughs> yeah. I still can't figure out social media. I tried. I, it just doesn't, doesn't click for me. One of these days I will. And you'll be like, whoa, Amanda. <laughs> I'll be so impressed. I mean, social media is like the cherry on top or like the supplement, right? To like what, what truly matters or what we love and all that good stuff anyway. So okay, good (laughs) for making me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) But that that's, I mean, it sounds like that was probably that piece of it was one of your favorite things from, you know, the club days and, and even the high school days with the program you were fortunate to be a part of. But if you had to summarize, I mean, I know this is a, a hard ask, but if you had to summarize your favorite parts of the college game, Olympics, and pro, because obviously there are differences yeah. there. Oh, my gosh. That's really hard. Um, <laughs> oh. Well, college, college and Olympics are kind of the same feeling, I guess. Um, that family feeling. Um you know, college, when you go in, you're just a pup, like just a baby. And I always feel like, man, it's almost unfair that we have to go to college at 18 and compete at that level and be as immature as we are. We meaning me. Um, I just wasn't, I wish I could have been a better, I wish I would have like acknowledged, I don't know, my experience a little bit more and been able to openly communicate more with my coaches and mm. um, just grab a hold of the experience. It's really hard to like think about that and think, oh, I wish I would have done this differently because I had a fantastic experience. I just think, wow, how would it have been different if maybe, you know, I had a redshirted my freshman year and then had a COVID year and then been able to compete like, <laughs> from 20 to 25, <laughs> you know, true you know, yeah. lessons along the way. Um, but I, the, the sisterhood that I found at UCLA is still there. Like I talk to my teammates regularly. We see each other regularly. And if we don't, we pick right up where we left off and we're all having kids now. We get our kids together. And um, so it's just, it's, that's a, an ongoing thing. Um, and for USA, man, that was, that was a long, that was a marathon experience for me. So I started in high school um, my first team was my senior year of high school, and then I finished in 08, 07, 07, 08. So it was it was a while, almost ten years, and um, a decade. It yeah. was a lot of the same friends, you know. So that was just, yeah. and you know, the international experience, you know, just being able to travel and see different parts of the world and understand and experience different cultures and the way that they play the game. Um, that was really probably my biggest growth in my life was just stepping outside of our bubble. You know, I grew up in Southern California. I went to school in Southern California, but USA softball allowed me to get out and get out of my comfort zone and, you know, experience places that I'll never go again. I would love to, but I, chances are I won't ever. Um, and that I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And just like, it was tough, like the toughest that Olympic year was probably the toughest year of my life. Just the rigors of the training and the prep and the length of it and the buildup and um, everything that went into it was, was tough. Um, And then the pro league was just, (laughs) 
you know, the pro league was, it was fun. It was almost like, um, a party in a way. Like I, you know, and I know the pro league gets a lot of, you know, kickback from that, but, um, it really just felt like, I think from going from UCLA, going to team USA at that time, remember this was a while ago with the pro league. So at that time, it wasn't a step down, but not all of the best athletes were going into the pro league. And it was just kind of, um, it was the next step. And so it was just a fun way to kind of enjoy the game, you know, enjoy new friendships and, and enjoy it in a more personal or uh, professional level. So it wasn't a lot of hardcore um, coaching, training, it was just management, mm. you know, you knew the game already. So you were just managed in the game. Um, and then I went out and I played in the pro league in Japan for a year. And that I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have left earlier and played a handful or so years out there because I loved it. And talk about a disciplined culture. Um, I don't think I've ever felt better like physically than I did when I was in Japan because of the way they take care of themselves. Um, and it, that was, that was kind of my hurrah out of the game. Once I finished that year with, um, Japan, I thought, oh my gosh, I love this game. I just had the best experience. And I think it's time that I walk away, you know, before it gets to the point yeah. where you're pushed out or you start to, you know, resent the game or, you know, so I feel like that was kind of my, that was my exit. And it was a good, it was a good time. Sorry. That was a really long winded answer. No, I mean, I asked you like literally the hardest question, which is like, yeah, summarize your whole life, basically. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so that that's on me, not you. Um, but I mean, I think it's it's just so cool because what I your background, like, what stands out to me is not only the success at all the different levels, but just having touched pretty much every part that you could touch in softball, right? Like you've experienced all of those things, and not everyone does, you know, like that's that is unique. Like there are definitely some people who do, but it's not a huge group that you're a part of yeah. um, to literally have say, say that you've done all of it. Yeah. And I, and I think another part to this is like in high school, my pitching coach was Ernie Parker. I don't know if you remember Ernie Parker, but he was Lisa Fernandez pitching coach. And he was one of like the big names back then and he's passed away. But um, when I was a sophomore in high school, he started inviting me on um, his pitching clinics. So he would travel and do pitching clinics and I would travel with him and I would be his demo person. But he taught me how to talk, taught me how to talk. I went to UCLA, taught me how to <laughs> teach <laughs> pitching. Um, and so that is kind of, it helped me, first of all, be a better pitcher, just because I was always like taking his lessons in and trying to teach others, which is such a great learning tool for yourself. Um, but he also like, again, would take me to Hawaii, Alaska, um, Iowa, like just different places at a time when clinics were really sought after today, we've got mm -hmm. showcases and, you know, the way that travel ball is you, they already have their hitting coaches and their pitching coaches and their agility. Like there's no real need parents see to go out and seek out a skills clinic. But I was really fortunate to be able to come up in my career during a time where people wanted skill so you got to travel to places all across the country. I used to go all over the place and just meet different families and young athletes and kind of, you know, share your medal and share your experiences and be a role model and, you know, let them know you could do it too. And just getting in front of them and um, sharing it. I, that was cool for me too, because I still have kids from way back that send pictures and say, this was me when I was eight. They're like, you know, 25 now. I'm like, ah, I'm so old. But um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I, it's just not something that parents look for now because there's so much information and so many resources for softball. But um, I was really lucky that at the time where I was at the height of my career, people were also looking for skills instruction. So I got to be a part of their journey also. What I think is so cool is you talked about being pushed out of your comfort zone. You're talking about that in terms of USA and international. But something that Kelly I said recently when she came on the podcast, this this reminds me of, which is she said, operate in your strength zone but outside of your comfort zone, like push, keep pushing yourself, but like stick to your strengths, but keep pushing yourself to get better and better. And I feel like I'm seeing that as a theme in your softball journey, basically. Yeah, I think so. Um, (laughs) I've always been somebody who's really like, I have FOMO, I think in a way, you know, fear of missing out on things. And, um, I'm not like, people always laugh that like I decided to be a pitcher. I do not like to be in front of the camera. I don't like attention. I'm an introvert. I guess if you, you know, you categorize me as that, like I love people, but in small amounts, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I do like, I loved pitching and they're just, there's things that, you know, but, um, I've always like just somehow found the courage to say yes to things that have terrified me, but that I've been interested in. And you have to, because that's, that's how I found Pac-12 work. That's how I did broadcasting. I didn't want to be in front of a camera. I was terrible. I remember the feelings of being on the camera for those first 15 seconds, you know, of the open. I think I had worse butterflies than on the Olympic stage. Like literally I hated it, but I kept doing it and it slowly got easier and it slowly got easier. And then there'd be another opportunity. I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. I've never done it before. But I'm going to try. I'm just going to say yes. And then I'm going to figure out how I'm going to do it. You know, and you know, just that has been my life because I'm not a, I am a go-getter, but I'm not a, it's really hard to explain. I think you know what I'm saying. Like, I'm just not, I'm not the type that's going to like go and really put myself out there. Uh, you don't force anything. I don't try to force things. Yeah. yeah. But you go, when something's there, you're like. Yeah, I'll push myself, you know, but you're not like trying to force anything that's not authentic. I'm the same way. I'm an introvert too. And here we were on Pac-12 Networks together (laughs) talking about (laughs) softball (laughs) on TV. Yeah, but but I think that's just the love of the game, right? But it's similar. Like the first 15 seconds, even still now, I get like, you know, nervous and then you start to calm down, right? But it's, yeah, I completely understand that. I, I talked to somebody about that alter ego almost that you're, you know, like I had a major alter ego when I stepped into the circle or, I, you know, anything that I did on TV or because you have to, otherwise I would never do anything. So I had to, you know, really separate who I wanted to be, who I reverted back to my comfort zone and kind of just like put on a cape and say, okay, I'm, and forget about what other people think too. And I think that's the hardest thing is it doesn't matter what other people think about my experience right now. It's, you know, I'm going to make the best of it and I might fail. You know, I probably will according to my standards because, you know, I set the bar higher than I can ever attain, which is, you know, a complete um, bummer for me (laughs) in life. (laughs) But um, no, I have really high expectations for myself. So I'm never going to be able to attain what I think is excellence. But I also think that constantly pushes me to be a little bit better. I've just learned to give myself grace through the process and be okay with failure and, you know, to keep going. So yeah, it's, 
And it's not going to stop. Like, I, I can't see, like, the end game for that, you know. I, and I don't know if it's because of the way that I was as, as an athlete or just my nature from when I was born. I don't know what drives that. But, um, it's never- I mean, it's it's a key to your success. I think giving yourself grace is important, though. So that's good. I mean, I'm the same way. I, you know, perfectionist, all that stuff. But it's like, what is that saying? It's like, if you shoot for the moon, at least you land among the stars or whatever. Like, if your expectations are here and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm a little bit short, you're still pretty, you know, yeah. like pretty Perfect. successful. Yeah. And so like, I remember Kelly, I was like, I said something in her intro on the show and I was like, yeah, three time national champion at UCLA. And she was like, yeah, we could have been four, by the way, we lost one to nothing against U of A, da, da, da. And I was like, yep, this is, <laughs> this is how competitive perfectionist thing. That's what I always say about my UCLA experience. Cause they're like, you want a couple, right? I'm like, oh, I just won my freshman year. But we were runners up the next two years. We should have won all four years. I always have to. <laughs> we should have, really. But I mean, you know, we really shouldn't have the way that we played, especially <laughs> my senior year. But we really could have won at least three. Um, but that's just the nature of the game. We gave Oklahoma their first championship. So you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember. See, that's when it all started. Yeah. <laughs> For them. <laughs> Oh, that is hilarious. And also like little known fact about you, speaking of like outside your comfort zone, the movie with Reese Witherspoon, how do you know? I know that you, and I think a few other teammates of yours, like I think appeared in the movie, but also like helped kind of train her too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, It was, that was cool. Yeah. It was my little glimpse into Hollywood and it was interesting. Um, I would love to do one big blockbuster and then that's it. <laughs> but I couldn't do it as a lifestyle. But no, that was really fun. It was and you know, Sue actually Inquist was the one that was hired to be Reese's trainer. And so she reached out to me and um, Andrea Duran, who was living local at the time, and um, a couple of others. And we would go up and um, basically just help her understand how to be a softball player. And because um, in the movie, she was going to be an Olympic softball player. And so we were, you know, teaching her how to run properly and how to move yeah. on the field and how to stand, like little things like that that you take for granted as an athlete, yep. just the way that you hold your glove on your hip when you're in your position in between pitches. You know, you there's a certain yeah. way to stand, you know. So yep. little things like that that was really fun um, to be a part of. And then through that, they then needed, obviously, extras and people to play softball players in the movie. So we did that. Um, Tara Henry, who does D1, um, was her body double. And um, in some of the things, I think it was Tara. I shouldn't be. Oh, that's awesome. There were a couple of them. (laughs) It was Tara. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was was a fun experience. And we filmed out in Philadelphia. And it was, you know, a bunch of us softball players together, just kind of having fun outside our comfort zone, you know, just going with the flow and. Um, working with yeah. major actors and producers and just having a good time. Well, I have to tell you, I distinctly remember for one of the series, it, I don't remember what year it was, but it had to be obviously before the movie came out. We played at UCLA that year. Maybe it was my freshman year, which would have been 2009. But we remember seeing Reese in the stands and we were oh, like, funny. why? <laughs> you know, like, why Why is she here? And she was watching us play against UCLA. And I think just trying to see probably a lot of the things funny, you guys yeah. were teaching her, yeah. you know, like see how softball players move and all that stuff. And we found out later that that's why she was there. But I distinctly 
remember that and remember thinking like, well, that's pretty cool yeah. you know, that, <laughs> that they care about softball. It's funny. We just going to UCLA, we run into celebrities all the time because they live oh, yeah. in and around the campus and a lot of them use Drake Stadium and the stairs and just campus to walk and exercise and hang out. And so it's totally, yeah, you kind of, and Reese was a Stanford alum too. So we were like, did she, did she just pick this because of that? You know, we we were like trying to figure it out, but probably not. Probably just happened to be. (laughs) Maybe she, yeah, she probably had to choose a game and said, oh, well, I'll go to the Stanford game. That'll be fun. Was it a good game though? Do you remember? I remember, I remember we were good, UCLA and us, we were both good. Like we were, it was like us and Washington who ultimately won the national championship that year that were all like at the top of the pack. Um, So I do think it was a good game. I don't remember who won. Okay. We'll have to go back and look. Which maybe means UCLA won and I'm just blocking it. you're not remembering it, yeah. Yeah, that's probably what I mean. But I don't know. That's just so cool. Like I, I always love to talk about too like where what people have done since they stopped playing too you know and I know you teach now in addition to the broadcasting and you also have like high school games I know that you work with um, high school players and things like that too and it's cool how like just different types of opportunities yeah align like you said it's it's hard the transition after playing is really hard but there are different paths and you can kind of create your own path yeah no I yeah and again like I just I say yes to pretty much everything and it's always that (laughs) softball piece that's hard to let go of. And I don't think I ever will. So trying to hold on to that and start a new career. Um, I got my credential, my master's. I started it before COVID um, knowing that at some point, you know, I probably won't be broadcasting when I'm 65. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) I might be, but at some point, especially with all the streaming and everything that's been going on, you know, we have to think about transitioning um, my kids are still young. I want to spend time with them. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the road. So um, when I got my master's in credential and started teaching at my kids' school, um, but still doing softball stuff and then coaching high school. And so I kind of still have my hands and feet in everything, which can be overwhelming, but um, I don't think I would have it any other way. Like I just, I operate best multitasking and keeping busy as I was a pitcher and a shortstop and a hitter and an outfield. Like that's just how my mind works. So exactly. I, think I would be completely bored if I did one thing. <laughs> and it all comes full yeah. circle, all comes back around. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, that That's, that's super cool. And I'm, I'm glad that our paths got to cross Thank like you. in the process too. Um, and I would literally take up, you know, all of your time if I could, but um, I will respect it because you have so many things going on, but I play a little game to wrap up with every guest. Mm, Um, it is called safer out. Ooh. And all it is, is I'll bring something up. Uh, and if you like it or you agree with it, you call it safe. If you don't, then you call it out. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. (laughs) Okay. People calling the pitchers area in softball a mound safe. Okay. I agree. It's like people have been more on the circle. You're in the circle. Right? You're on a mound. Like this. Just I always said that. It's a mound. Yeah. Right? Okay. A Thank mound. you. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. Because I always said mound and everyone did growing up. But then I think some people were like, oh, well, these baseball guys come in and use baseball terminology on broadcast. And I'm like, yeah, but we used to say mound, mound. you know, yeah, like, I don't know. Just mound. Yeah. 
Okay. Safe. Cool. Good. All right. There's one. <laughs> Second one is the no leaping rule for pitchers in college. Safe or out? Safe. Yeah. Like I think it should stand. Yeah. Sa- yeah. Safe. Safe means you think you agree. Like you think it yeah. should stand. I don't think it gives a pitcher an advantage. That's not why. I just think if we call it, if we eliminate it, then we will look for ways to make it an advantage and then it'll... I think then it'll just get out of control. So yeah, for now, I get safe. that. Out, safe. Yeah, I say, no leap. Safe. safe. <laughs> I think I think people the complaints we're hearing now are more so around like inconsistency in calling it, which I think right. are valid. Totally. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it's like we just, it, yeah, because then pitching coaches are going to teach it, and if you teach it the right way, then there would be a clear advantage. And then I mean, then we'd have to scoot the rubber back to. 46 feet to account for the three feet of leaping and I don't know. Yeah. It just sounds messy, but I'm sure at some point they will eliminate it. I just don't yeah. want to see that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, name image likeness. So like athletes getting paid These now. Are tough. Nice. <laughs> oh man. Um, you know, safe. Yeah. I have so many mixed feelings on it. Um, but I've got to think about the 95% of people and not that, you know, five to 0.1%. Um, yep. You know, to me, it was about playing and enjoying the game and being successful because it made me feel good and um, my teammates. And I loved that aspect. And I just, when I think about it, I just feel like it would have been overwhelming to me and just another thing that would have taken my focus away from just the game, you know, and, you know, to think I could have, um, money pulled for not performing or then it's not fun. Mm. You know, I just want to play the game. So, um, I like it because I'm supposed to, because that's the direction the game is going, but I still have mixed feelings. No, I get it. I get it. I think it it just, we have to be very thoughtful about how right. it's done for sure. Yeah. But I like the way you framed it too. Like thinking about the 95% versus the 5%. I think that's a good way to like frame it yeah. because we can easily get caught up in the 5%, you know, Yeah. but yeah. yeah. And for, in your case, it's like, Oh, what I have to pitch, I have to hit, I have to field. And I have to like do all these extra taxes because now I make money, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know? And at that time, like you, even like the like the Olympics, you don't get prize money or anything. You can't earn any money as a college athlete. So, um, like I had college teammates that had to, you know, say no to the money because they were still they still had eligibility left. Um, but I don't know. I'm okay with it. You know, I just I felt like my scholarship was paying me to play, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, that college tuition at UCLA. So I kind of feel like that was my payment. Um, my husband yeah. and I get in this argument all the time. Um, <laughs> but I do think for as far as our game has evolved and as much exposure as we're getting, um, it is nice for these athletes to be recognized as long as the universities and the coaches and the people around them can prioritize and balance like the health of it. then I think um, it can be okay. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense to me. Okay, last one okay. is bat flips, safer out. Out. I knew it. I always like asking the pitchers slash hitters, though, because it, like, really could go either way, you know? So 
So you want to know another one that I think is out is batters not having to move in the box. Because if you're going to okay, back flip on me, you want to know where that next pitch is coming? <laughs> you might it. have to edit that part up. <laughs> no, I think it's, I agree. So um, no, I, I think that's a really good point though. That's a really good point. No one has brought that up before, like as kind of like a counter to the bat flip, but I mean, it wasn't really shouldn't. a counter counter. Bat flip to me, I just, but I wasn't that kind of a player. Like I wasn't a showy player. I didn't, you know, fist pump after a strikeout and that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. Like that's just emotion. I think yeah. that flip is more of like a, what would you call it? I mean, like a, an outward show of like. A flex. Yeah. That's a flex. Yeah. That's not yeah. like, if it's like swing, ah, you know, like you just throw you because you're so excited, but the totally couple of steps, boom, like that's, mm, that's out to me. I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. I think it's showboaty. Um, I think there's other think- ways to show your excitement and pump your team up. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there are different degrees of it yeah. too. Cause I've seen like very small ones that do see more like what you're saying. Like, Oh, they were just really emotional, excited. Yeah. And, but then there are other ones where it's like, this seemed planned, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay, like so. a touchdown dance. You know? <laughs> yeah. You're like, okay. <laughs> Maybe because I didn't hit a lot of home runs. Like I was always swinging and then just like running as fast as I could around the Same. bases. So I never had a chance. <laughs> Same, but that's fair. Okay. So you, I think, loaded the bases, but then left them stranded. So we can decide, like, I feel like it started with hitting Amanda. No, I mean, like, you had three safes, I think, and then an out. So you loaded the bases, hit her Amanda style, and then out at the end. Shut them down. Yeah. Pitch her Amanda style. (laughs) Had to shut them down with the bat flip. Had to. Had to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for this. This was so fun. I knew it would be, but I'm glad we got to do it. Thank you for inviting me. This was fun. I'm really glad you joined us for the second half of our conversation. Amanda is just a genuine, easygoing person, but also super competitive and driven, which is my favorite kind of combination. So this was super fun. And with that, let's transition to the foul tip of the week. This week's foul tip is about being a one-pitch warrior. So I heard that term during the selection show from our second guest this season, who I mentioned before, Lonnie Alameda, and she said it's a key part to the success of Florida State. And I think that's true whether they're the number two seed or not. Um, I hadn't heard that term specifically, one-pitch warrior, before Kocha, but the concept of taking the game one pitch at a time is huge and something we've talked about on the show. And she talked about how that's why, you know, their first 30 games are different maybe than their second 30 games and, and how they grow throughout the season. And taking a one-pitch-at-a-time approach was literally game-changing for me as a hitter when I played. I've talked about it before when I truly adopted that mindset of just extreme focus on each pitch and shutting all the other noise out. That's when I hit my best. I was always really good at that defensively, but I was overthinking offensively. And once I did that in all parts of my game, it, it just clicked. It felt like me again, and then some. But taking one thing at a time in general has also been life-changing for me. You know, I've always set big goals in life. I think anyone who's competed at anything at a high level is this way. So easy for us to look ahead to our goals at the end and feel really intimidated by how far we still have to go to get there. And if we think about that, it's overwhelming. But if you just simplify it to focusing on one thing at a time, breaking it down into smaller goals to accomplish in the short term, 
doing the next right thing, all of those things. Then you look up one day and realize how far you've come. And that happened my senior year when someone pointed out to me that I had more than doubled the total number of hits that season versus my junior season the year before. I wasn't thinking about that. I was just trying to see the ball one pitch at a time. But that had freed me. Not worrying about anything else but the task at hand makes things easier because you're free. You're not held down by anything else. And that's why it happened. And it happens to me now as a broadcaster too. I had a moment earlier this season when I was in Seattle calling the UCLA UW series. You know, I was sitting in the press box and I looked out at the water out past left field because it's absolutely beautiful in, <laughs> at that stadium. And I remembered when I was hoping to get the call for my first ever TV game. And here I was now calling a top 10 matchup. And I thought about all the work that had come in between those moments. You know, last time I called the UW series was less than a year before that. And I got to work with the great Kate Scott, who broke barriers this season as a play-by-play announcer for the 76ers. You know, a woman in the NBA. It's awesome. And I got to work with her. And now she's a friend. You know, there is still so much further to go for my goals. But being able to recognize and appreciate when taking one thing at a time paid off was a great feeling. And it got me excited for the next time that I get that feeling because we're all just chasing progress at the end of the day. But when you continue to grind and stay focused, that's when the opportunities begin to align. It's not an accident. There's a lot of hard work in between and all throughout. But when you tackle one small win at a time, that's how you end up with a whole stack of wins and truly become a winner. So that's it. Be a one-pitch warrior. That's the foul tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, part of the Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. The show is available anywhere you get your podcasts, wherever you listen, including Believe.com, and you can watch the videos on YouTube too. Subscribe, rate, and if you liked it, write a review for the show. If you didn't, don't worry about it. But I appreciate your support and want to know what you think. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Believe in Softball. Again, that's B-L-E-A-V. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at JennaBacera01 and Instagram at JennaBacera as well. As always, thank you for tuning in and catch you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.